Well, I want to say a word of welcome to you today, those here at our 930 Cornerstone service and those who are attending our cafe service at 11 o'clock. Uh, my name is David. Uh, and if you are here for the very first time, we're, we're delighted to have you. I pray uh, today is a blessing for you. Here uh, at 930, we, we just had the chance to celebrate a, a baptism. And I want to, this is kind of an aside, but it's, I think it's important to share. Uh, in our church, uh, we baptize at any age, any stage of life. We we believe that whenever someone is baptized, whether it's in our church or uh, another church, any denomination, that they are baptized into the Christian church. And so we celebrate that. Uh, we, uh, we don't ask anyone in joining our church to go through the process of baptism again because we believe that they're already a part of the family of faith. When a child is baptized, we make promises. We claim that child as a, uh, as a part of our church family. And another aspect of that promise is what we call confirmation. We're about to start our confirmation class. Uh, we invite sixth graders in particular, but any student above that age who's not uh, had the chance to participate, we'd love for them to be a part of that as well. I believe it starts February 3rd, but I could be wrong. Uh, but if you have uh, a sixth grader, uh, I want to make sure you don't miss that because it is their chance uh, to confirm their own faith. Uh, we end with a great service uh, where those students come forward to these rails and they profess their faith. Uh, we pray over them. It is one of the most inspiring moments in the entire uh, year uh, to see those young people coming forward. And so again, uh, if you have one of those kids, don't let them miss out on that uh, opportunity. It's a, it's a great investment, uh, an investment we're excited to be making in the life uh, of your child. Uh, we are in the third week of uh, this series, uh, What the Bible Doesn't Say. Uh, more specifically, we may think of this as what we say uh, that the Bible doesn't say. And over the course of the first two weeks, uh, we first talked about God wants you to be happy. Uh, and, and, and with that, we, we, we talked about that, that we're actually pretty poor at, at understanding what will lead to our happiness, that there's a massive gap between happiness and significance, and, and that the pursuit of happiness is often what threatens our life's significance. Last week, we talked about uh, the phrase that, that we often might share in a situation where someone's going through a really difficult or hard uh, time, uh, God will not give you more than you can handle. And I invited you to kind of reframe that around this idea that faith isn't about gutting it out alone. Faith is having the courage to cry out to God. And if you find yourself in one of those experiences where you, where, where you may be tempted to say, well, God will not give you more than you can handle. A better thing to say would be, you are not alone. And it's okay to not be okay. Uh, this week, we're looking at another phrase uh, that, again, one is shared often in those really critical moments of our lives. Uh, someone shared it with us, or we shared it in the life of another when, when they were going through a difficult time, when they had experienced a tragic loss. Uh, and, and the reason that we say it is because we want to help. The reason that we say it is because we see someone's hurt, we see their pain, and more than anything, we want to take some of that away. And, and so we say something that we hope is encouraging, that will provide hope, that will somehow siphon off some of the pain that they're experiencing. And the, the phrase that we're looking at is everything happens for a reason. And the first thing that I want to acknowledge is that there are thoughtful, uh, well-versed, committed Christians 
who have no issue with sharing a phrase like this in any circumstance or any situation. There, there are people uh, who, who, who would say, hey, there's, there's nothing wrong with this. I am not one of them, and I'm going to share with you why that is. But I want to acknowledge that this is an area of theology, and theology is just a big word for how we think about God and God's relationship uh, with God's world. This is one of those areas where Christians disagree. And, And so, if you come to the end of this message, and you find yourself thinking, well, I don't, I don't really see that the same way that Pastor David does, um, that's okay. You don't have to find a new church. Uh, you, no one is going uh, to make you leave. Uh, it is okay because Christians can uh, and do disagree. Uh, I, I'm going to share with you why I, uh, as a Methodist pastor, uh, why I see this in, in, a, in a different way and, uh, and how I would express that. But again, my goal today is not to take anything away from you. My goal today is not to tell anyone that they're wrong or or to make you feel that that's what I'm expressing to you, but but I do want to challenge you to to maybe think through some of the assumptions uh, that underlie a phrase like everything happens for a reason and some other things that we find ourselves saying, whether it's in difficult circumstances or even in in completely wonderful circumstances uh, of our life. Uh, The the verse that we're going to look at is one that is a promise that is a foundation of hope for all Christians. Again, Christians understand it and interpret it in different ways, uh, but Romans 8, 28 is, is the verse for today. Uh, it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Now, let's just talk about some of the assumptions Uh, that undergird uh, this idea of everything happens for a reason. Again, that's what we often say in negative circumstances. But there's also things that we say in positive circumstances, whether that positive thing is I found a parking spot or my team won or whatever it might be. We say positive things that, that are really the same type of phrase as everything happens for a reason. And here are some of the underlying assumptions uh, behind those ideas. The first is that God is somehow orchestrating all things according to God's will and God's desire. That somehow God is, 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 uh, he, he is making all things happen in such a way that, that God would want them to happen. And that as a result, our lives are essentially predetermined. The path that we will take is essentially predetermined because, again, God is the one who is orchestrating all things. God is the one who is determining which way we're going to go and what's going to happen and what the the reason is for each experience in our life. And that the challenge that we face, our challenge is to figure out why. Our challenge is to somehow discover whatever reason uh, or uh, what's behind everything that occurs in our life. And again, I don't believe that. Uh, I'm going to share with you again why, why I don't, but, but hear those as the assumptions that, that undergird that, that statement. And you may think to yourself, well, I've said that, but I didn't mean that. Well, again, that's why I want to challenge you to think through some of the things that we may be intentionally conveying to another when we use a phrase like that, uh, whether it's in a negative circumstance or other phrases that we might say uh, in, a, in a positive circumstance. So let's talk about what's attractive about this idea. Uh, the first thing that is attractive is that we want the world to make sense. We do not like it when we see or experience acts 
go through circumstances that are senseless. We fear life's randomness, and we want control. We want control over our own lives. We want control over specific outcomes. And this desire for control actually leads us to do some really, really silly things. Uh, These are the aspects of our life where we express our superstitious nature. Uh, Where where we think about uh, while watching our favorite team, we have to be wearing a particular shirt or jersey. We have to be sitting in a particular seat. I'm watching a baseball game. There's two outs. Here comes this next batter. I have to sit in this part of the couch. Uh, At the very beginning of this uh, series, the Cowboys were playing on Saturday night. I posted kind of tongue-in-cheek on Facebook, you better come to church tonight. Because if the Cowboys lose, you'll never know if it was your fault because you didn't come to church (laughs) and pray for the Cowboys to win. And while we're on the subject, by the way, this is really important, great theological idea, very important. God doesn't care who wins the Super Bowl. (laughs) Now, some of you, that's the, that's the, that is the most challenging thing you're going to hear all morning, that God doesn't care who, but we want the world to make sense. We want to know that there's someone in control who is protecting us from the, the randomness, the recklessness of a, of a disturbed world in which we live. We want the world to be fair. And what that means is we want good things to happen to good people, and we want bad things to happen to bad people. And so uh, here, here's what this looks like. If, if we are able to see something that we understand is bad happening in the life of someone who is good as something that is actually really good, we just don't really understand, then it sort of balances the scales again and, and it appeals to our desire to live in this world. The world that is fair, the world that we would describe as just, the world where good things happen to good people and bad things happen uh, to bad people. But this is maybe the most important thing. We want to live in the world that once was. We want to live in the good old days. And and just in case you're confused by that, that phrase, none of us experience the good old days at any point in our lifetimes. Because the good old days were not in 1982. And they weren't in 1952. The good old days were in the days of Genesis chapter 2. Before Genesis 3, when humanity sinned, broke our relationship with God, and somehow fractured all of creation. That's the world as it once was. That's the good old days. The world as God intended the world to always be before humanity sinned, caused a fracture in our relationship and a fracture in all of creation. And so we look around and uh, we can see the beauty of creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, the scriptures say. We can be in awe of of the wonder of, of all that we see in the world in which we live. And yet, We also look around and we see things that are not as they should be. We see brokenness. We see pain. We we don't see beauty. There's a tension in the world that is around us. And, and of course, we acknowledge that same tension is within us. That there is this part of us that desires the good. There is this beauty that is a part of all of our lives. And yet there's also this sense of brokenness. We want the world as it once was, and part of what I want you to hear in relationship to this is this is a really, really good thing. 
Because another way of thinking about this is, is our desire for what the Scriptures refer to as new creation for the world to be restored, for the reign of God to be uh, fully restored, for justice and peace and righteousness, for love to always, always, always win the day. And what the scriptures say is that followers of Christ, part of our uh, task, part of our calling is to work for that world, to pray for that world to come to pray for the renewal of all things, the renewal of all creation, for God to once again set the world right again. We'll talk more about that next week, but, but here's what I want to acknowledge and invite you to acknowledge as, as well, that when we think about that world, the world as it once was, the Genesis 2 world, we look around our world every single day and we see and experience things that have no place in the fully restored, restored world that is living under God's reign. This is part of the reason that uh, we believe in judgment. Because we believe that there are things that exist in our world today that cannot exist in the world as God will remake it in the future. That, that, that cannot exist in a world that is living fully under God's reign. And every single day we see those things, which is partly why I don't believe that everything happens for a reason or that our lives are predetermined. The second reason is because it seems to place responsibility on God for things that had nothing to do with God and everything to do with what we chose to do. So instead, here's what I think God gives to each and every one of us. And for some of you, this is a review because you read it in verse 15 uh, this week. But I believe first God gives us the gift of life. Your gift, your life is a gift of God. God, I believe, is the creator and the sustainer of all things. God has given you this gift. God has breathed into you the gift of life. And every single day of your life is a gift. It's something that God has given to you, poured into you. Our life, every single moment of our life is is connected to God in this particular way. The life that he gives And in each moment of our life, each day of our life, God also gives us the gift of love. Love is who God is. Love is what God does. God pours love into our life. We love, the scriptures say, because Christ first loved us. God first loved us. God is pouring his love into all of us, into all of the world, every single moment of every single day. It's a gift of God for all. The third thing that God gives us is God gives us the gift of choice. And at the heart of every single choice that we make is how we respond to these first two gifts. How do we we spend our lives? How how do we uh, steward this gift of, of each day that God has given us? How do we respond to God's love? Is God's love something that we receive or is it something that we run away from? In receiving God's love, is it something that we make a choice to continue to work alongside, uh, not only receiving and sharing it with others, or do we choose to live in our own way? Uh, The most generous gift, the most courageous gift that God could give to you or anyone is the gift of choice. Because in giving you that gift, God gives you the choice to do the very things that would break the heart of God, and often those are the things we choose to do. 
And so in situations where people might ask, well, why did that happen? I would say, well, sometimes there are things that happen in the world for no other reason. And somebody made a really, really poor choice. And in making that poor choice, maybe they brought pain into their own life or pain in the lives of others. But because God gives us this gift, we have the, we have the opportunity every day to make choices that don't lead us down the path that leads to, to life. They, they lead us down a different path and bring pain and hurt into our life and into the lives of others. Love ceases to be love when it is based in control. But that also means that love gives us the opportunity to make the poor choice. The poor choice that is often the pathway to life's greatest hurt and greatest pain. These are the gifts that I believe that God gives to each and every one of us. Life, love, and choice. And and one of the things that I've said before, uh, uh, I, I wrote in the book that some of you are reading is that as a pastor, I cannot explain crazy. If you want to know, I don't know, how did this happen? I, I can't explain crazy. And of course, when we make decisions, they are totally logical. Every decision that we make is totally logical. We have this idea, this is going to work out in this particular way. And everyone around us is thinking, that is crazy. And I can't explain crazy. I can't explain why we make such poor decisions. I can't explain why I myself sometimes make such poor decisions. I know it's a part of my humanity. It's, 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 it's what we all struggle with. Again, the tension, the tension, our desire to live in the world as it once was, uh, ourselves to live as fully redeemed uh, children of God. I can't explain crazy, but here's the other thing I can't explain. I can't explain why, there are th- why those in our world whose work, the work of their life and everything in their life is so clearly committed to healing and hope, why is it that those people are often the ones who have experienced life's greatest pain? Why is that? Why, why, why do we see on a regular basis people who are, who are fully committed to that way of life, of a way that brings healing and hope and restoration to the world, why is it that some of them are the same people who have experienced life's greatest pain? In the first week of this uh, series at the 11 o'clock service, uh, every once in a while 11 o'clock in particular, uh, I will just throw something into the sermon, which is usually not a very good idea. Uh, this, this was one of those situations where it fit really, really well, but what I didn't know going into it is the emotion that it would, uh, it would generate within me. And, and it was uh, telling about one of those individuals named Epiphany. And I got like, you know, a couple sentences into the story and I'm, you know, I'm choked up. And if you've ever experienced this when you're sharing with somebody else, you get choked up and there's like this silence that follows. And, and for a moment it's okay, but eventually it gets awkward. Like when is the person going to say another word? That's what happened, okay? And, then, and I'm standing in front of 500 people and I'm thinking to myself, I have to finish the story. I mean, I can't just stop here. And so I kind of worked my way through it. But that emotion that, that was generated is just how I feel about the impact of, of Epiphany's life. And most of you know that our most significant partner... Uh, in the work that we do around the world, beyond the, uh, the boundaries of our nation, is, is with Zoe Ministry and the work that we do to, uh, in partnership with them to empower orphans. 
And in 2015, I got the chance to go to Rwanda and to see firsthand the work that Zoe is doing. And, and this, is, uh, this picture really captures what the first few days of that trip were all about. We had the chance to spend time with uh, different orphan communities. They, they, they pulled them together in, uh, in, in communities. We, we got the chance to see uh, kids who were at the end of their three-year program. They were ready almost to graduate, if you will, from Zoe's program, from the model of empowerment that they, that they use. And so each, we, we just went uh, those first few days from group to group to group. We showed up. They were ready for us. They had a presentation. They were ready to say thank you. They, uh, they, they wanted to say thank you for Mansfield. For, for, uh, in many of those uh, situations, they wanted to present to us a gift that they had made for us to express their appreciation. You, you, every single day, those first few days, you went, you went to bed and you just thought, wow, this is, this is amazing. This is just incredible. Uh, spending time with kids near the end of their third year or near the end of their second year. Seeing their smiles and hearing their laughter. And you couldn't help but be captivated by the joy that just radiated from their transformed lives. But near the end of the trip, Epiphany wanted us to see and, and really understand uh, where these kids, the ones that we had celebrated, where, where their journey had, had begun. And so we went to meet another group, a group that wasn't, they weren't just in their first year, I think it was their second meeting together. And, and we're there in this, uh, this large room sitting on wooden benches just on the side and, and, and this young girl stood up and began to share with us her story. And I just got to tell you that every single aspect of her story was awful. It was terrible. It was more awful than any of us could have imagined. The life of any child being. The poverty that she was living in, the loss of her parents, the, 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 the desperation to find food for herself and for her younger sister. And, and she's telling us a story and she gets to a moment where the emotion just overwhelms her and she can't continue the story. And this is what happened next. This is Epiphany and Epiphany walked up and she began to comfort her. And you might be able to see in this picture that she began to whisper to her. And what I was thinking, and I'm sure all of us were thinking, as she's comforting her and she's whispering to her, we, we assumed that what she was saying is, it's okay, you can sit down. You don't have to continue telling the story. But that, that wasn't what Epiphany was saying. She comforted her, she, she, she calmed her down. But what she was saying to her was, you need to finish the story. Now the challenge of being in that room, and you would have felt it too if you were there, everything within, everything within us was, was screaming out, we want to rescue this girl. We want to save her from all of these awful things that she has shared with us. That's what we wanted to do. But, but what Epiphany understood is that this young girl needed to give voice to her hurt. She needed to tell her story. And that the reason that we were there was not to rescue her. The reason that we were there was to hear her story. 
to acknowledge the dignity of her life, to give her the experience of standing before her peers, but also seeing a group surrounding her, having the chance to know that someone cared enough to listen to her awful story. The model that Zoe uses, the success rate is phenomenal. It's not relief work, it's empowerment work. At the end of three years, uh, those who finish this program have food security. Uh, they've been taught the basics of health and hygiene. Uh, they, have, they have some sort of living place, some housing for themselves. They, they have an income generating business, either themselves or that they, they share with a group. Uh, they are connected in a community where they have selected leaders among themselves. That community is a mutually supportive community. They develop for themselves a safety net for anyone who may have need in the years to come. And these groups not only continue to thrive and grow, these groups, one of the most amazing things is these groups uh, begin to raise money for Zoe to do in the lives of others what Zoe had helped them to do. And, and in terms of the model, part of what's remarkable about the model is that Zoe didn't develop the model. Instead, Zoe found the person who had put every peace in place. And that person was Epiphany. Epiphany is a survivor of the, of the genocide in Rwanda that happened in 1994. The, the estimates of those who lost their lives over the course of the 100 days or so is between 500,000 and a million Rwandans who lost their lives in the midst of those few months. But Epiphany was, was was spared. She was one who was, uh, who, who lived through that. And again, you might first think, well, well, there was a reason for that. God had a plan for her. But of course, to say that is to say that God had a plan for perhaps as many as a million Rwandans to lose their lives. And it, it gives us the opportunity, it creates the chance that we would miss what is so remarkable about Epiphany's life and Epiphany's story. And it's this question that it raises for us is how does the desire for healing and hope, how does that desire survive in a life that has been through such tremendous pain? And what Epiphany would say is this. I chose to stay and help rebuild my country. And because of the choice that she made, every single day there is another orphan who is added to the thousands all around the world whose lives have been changed, who have been rescued from a hopeless existence, and who have been empowered empowered to live into a whole new future. It's happened in Rwanda, and it's happened as Epiphany in her work with Zoe has traveled around the world bringing her model to other countries where again orphans' lives are transformed. I don't know that I've met anyone else in my life who had a better excuse to allow hurt 
and despair to mark the rest of their days. No one other than, no one more than Epiphany. But she made a different choice. She decided on a different path. And orphans around the world, in the thousands, their lives are being changed because of the choice that she made. I don't believe that everything happens for a reason. But here's what I do believe, and this is the only explanation that I have for, for, for Epiphany's story. I believe that the height of our hurt, God still works for our good, and I believe that that's what Paul means in Romans 8, 28. That in the darkest moment of your life, the darkest moment of my life, the most difficult circumstance we could ever imagine, even there God is still working for our good. He's working to bring comfort. He's working to bring peace. He's, he's working to surround uh, us with, with others who will encourage us and, and help us and be there for us in that particular time of need. God's Spirit is always around us, speaking into us words of life, words of love, reminding us who we are, that we are not alone, that it's okay to not be okay. God is always, always working for our good. And every single day, every single moment, we get to choose how we will respond to the good work that God is doing in us and around us every single day. You and I, today, tomorrow, every day, we get to make a choice. We get to make a choice about how we will receive the gift of life, the gift of love, and how we will share our life and God's love with the world. And the challenge, I believe, is this, is to make the right choice, to work in partnership with the good things that God is always, always doing in our lives and in our world. Let's pray. Loving God, we confess to you first that we do want to live in a world that is, makes sense, a world that is fair. There is within us this desire for our world to be restored and redeemed, for the world to once again live fully under your reign. And out of that desire, Lord, we pray that it would create within us the motivation to work for that world to be people, Lord, who, who do not run from the world's pain, but those who are rather willing to enter into it, to listen and to hear, to acknowledge and to affirm, to bring healing and hope and restoration into those moments, into those lives who are experiencing some of life's great hurt and pain. God, help us to understand the responsibility that we bear. And Lord, I pray that you would protect us from speaking in any way that would put responsibility on you for something that you had nothing to do with. We pray, Lord, that you will lead us Help us to be good stewards of these gifts, the gift of life, the gift of love, and the gift to make a choice. All these things we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.